Hello, Freedom Fighters. Thank you for listening. This audio interview is brought to you by Open World Magazine, the ultimate guide for pursuing a life of adventure and passion and setting up a location-independent business that can support your dream lifestyle. Go check us out at openworldmag.com. All right. Hi, so welcome to another episode of the Open World Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Flood, and I am super excited for this interview. I'm joined today by Sean Ogle. A few years ago, Sean was working 50 hours a week as a financial analyst. He was getting up early, commuting to work, putting on a suit and tie every day, but he felt miserable. He had this wanderlust and this desire to experience the world, and he took all the vacation time that he had left. He went to Rio de Janeiro. And he experienced everything that he wanted when he went there. It was so perfect. And he felt that he couldn't go back to that financial analyst life. And he has been inspiring people with through his... Excuse me. Uh, sorry, one second. <laughs> now, now it's the cat. <laughs> <laughs> always something. Yeah. All right. I just locked, locked him up in the room. Okay. <laughs> uh, Okay, so I'll, I'll just cut that part out. So, Sean, just wanted to welcome you to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, man. So maybe you could tell me and the listener a little bit more about your backstory, where you came from, and uh, what was the journey like getting to where you are now? Yeah, so you, you kind of summed up a lot of the basics, but you know, I grew up like the, the epitome of middle-class white America. I mean, like average in just about every way possible. Um, I knew by the time I was in eighth grade where I wanted to go to college, I was going to room with my best friend. Uh, I studied finance. Six months before I graduated, I got a job as a financial analyst for a small uh, financial services firm. And even though that wasn't what I wanted, um, I knew I wanted to travel and I wanted to run my own business. But, you know, when you're graduating school, a job falls in your lap that pays well and whatever. You're like, okay, cool. And it didn't take long before I was in that job and I realized, whoa, this is not what I wanted at all. Um, You know, we started the company in 2007 and by you know, early 2009, you know, the financial markets in the United States and across the world, it completely collapsed. Um, So it was a terrible time to be in the finance industry. And as you mentioned, I saved up all my vacation time to go down to uh, Rio de Janeiro with one of my best friends. And we spent two weeks down there, had the most unbelievable time. We danced in the carnival parade. Uh, We went down to Iguazu Falls, one of the seven natural wonders of the world. Um, hung out on the beach drinking, you know, coconuts. It was amazing. Um, and then the day I got back, you know, after kind of deciding I need to make a change, the day I got back, I got a 20% pay cut. And so basically I made it my mission from that point on to get out of my job by the end of the year, uh, start a business of my own and kind of go from there. And so, so that's kind of how Location 180 was born. So you experienced this feeling, uh, you were down in Rio and you're like, this is awesome. This is, I never imagined that it could be like this, right? Yeah. Um, you know, it's like having the freedom to do whatever we wanted. It was, you know, it was like February. So it was snowing back in Portland where I'm from. Um, and where it's like 80 degrees on the beach, hanging out with like a bunch of Brazilian girls. And it was, it was pretty cool. Not a bad transition there, huh? So yeah. Right. (laughs) Why did you, why did they offer or why did they give you a pay cut when you came back? Were you not doing your job correctly or were, was it because you took a vacation or was there some other reason? No, it was, it was something across the board. So I, I came on board with a brand new company. Um, these guys went from a traditional brokerage firm and they left their book of business on the table and said, we're going to open up our own independent firm. 
Um, and so it was very like Jerry Maguire-esque thing when they did that. So, you know, they left their office, put in their resignation, popped a bottle of champagne. 20 minutes later, they're on the phone calling all their clients, trying to get everybody to come over. And so this was July of 07. So peak of the market, everybody's happy. Um, but by 2009, the stock market had gone from 14,000 down to 6,400. Um, and this new business was based on assets. So if, you know, the client's assets were down 50%, that meant the company's revenues were down 50%. So basically they were at the point where they're like, well, we can fire one person or we can all take 20% pay cuts. And with an office of four people, that's what they decided to do. So it wasn't just me, it was everybody. Okay. So how did you feel when uh, that happened? I mean, were you like, uh, I don't need this or I need to change my life? What did you do then? It was just kind of the confirmation that I needed that's like, hey, like this isn't what you want to be doing forever. You're already at a point where you feel like – I felt like I should have been making more money than I was before the pay cut. And then to cut it by 20 percent, I mean that's a pretty significant amount. So um, basically at that time, I was looking for, for any kind of option, um, anything else. Uh, three weeks after I got back from that trip, my friend that I went, uh, went with, he quit his job, moved to Hawaii – I uh, was basically going to just hang out in Hawaii, like working as a cabana boy for eight months. Uh, and then he was going to start uh, his world trip in January of 2010. Um, so I was like talking to him every day on my lunch breaks and he's like living the life in Hawaii and I'm still miserable. Um, so that was when that was when I was like, OK, I need to start making some changes. Um, I met a guy named Chris Gillibo, um, who some of your listeners may have heard of him. You know, he went to every country in the world by the time he was 35. He's got a couple of New York Times bestselling books and he had just moved to Portland and I met him for coffee and he was the one that encouraged me to, to start writing and start a blog. So that's how uh, Location 180 began. Did the life of a cabana boy appeal to you, I wonder, because I know, uh, you know, several years ago I worked at a, a resort in uh, Guam and uh, even though you feel like, you know, you're doing something cool and exotic and, you know, it seems interesting like you're traveling, you're really not, you know, they, they basically still own you and you still have to shave every day. You have to wear a uniform, you know, you have 30 different bosses telling you what to do, you know, and uh, that, did that appeal to you? Like the, the experience of, of working abroad and, and even as like a cabana boy or, or, or how did you feel? Well, like, how did you go well there's... This? There's kind of two components to that. One, when I'm in a suit and tie at a job I don't like with a bunch of people that are unhappy because the market's doing so bad, you know, the idea of being in Hawaii and working 25 hours a week by a pool, like, that sounded pretty good, even if it is like a regular job. Um, but the other aspect of that is I knew for him it was a means to an end. He was just doing that because he wanted the experience of living in Hawaii, and that was basically a way that he could just break even every month. You know, he already had some money that was saved up, and so he's like, hey, if I can just break even every month and then I'll take off on that big trip in January, then, you know, I'll have the experience of saying I lived in Hawaii. So so I think that was appealing to me, but um, I never I never did it. I uh, I pretty much started traveling as soon as I left my job. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, the reason I asked is because I know some people have kind of mixed uh, results, you know, whether they go, uh, I talked to Gabby Wallace, she went to teach English in Japan and didn't give her enough freedom, you know, to, because she had to work, she didn't, she still didn't get very much vacation time, even though she's in Japan, you know, she's spending most of it inside of a classroom. Uh, totally. Yeah. I, I think any of those types of jobs, whether it's teaching abroad or working at a resort or whatever, I think they can be great transitional jobs. So if you want to build a location independent lifestyle or you want to travel, it can be a great kind of, you know, um, you know, transition. So if I'm an analyst and I say, okay, I'm going to quit that but I need to make some money. I want to live in 
uh, Thailand. Um, I could go work at a resort in Thailand or something. And then on the side, continue building up my own business while still having a bit of an adventure being in a unique place. And, you know, it's certainly not something that, you know, if you're going to do that, you're not planning to do that forever, but you know, for six months or a year, whatever it is, I think that that can be a good opportunity for the right people. If they're really worried about making money and taking that leap. Okay, so the transition for you was back in 2010, and you were working with Tropical MBA, right? You were doing uh, an apprenticeship. Was was that um, the one they do in the Philippines? Can you tell me about yeah, that? Yeah, so, so basically what happened was um, the Tropical MBA was just getting started. Um, it was literally just a sales page with Dan Andrews saying, hey, I want to bring uh, an American guy out to Asia. Um, I'll pay for your basic living expenses and teach you how to do online marketing. Um, you know, the lifestyle business podcast, which is what it was called at the time was like six episodes in. So, you know, they didn't really have much of a brand, but he reached out to me and, you know, it sounded like a great idea. So, um, I went and met this random dude from the internet at 1am in Bangkok and it ended up being the (laughs) best thing that I ever could have done. Um, so he basically said, let's go hang out for two weeks and go travel around. So Ian flew out from San Diego And I convinced my buddy Ryan, who I went on that Brazil trip with, I convinced him to start his world trip in in Thailand. So there was just kind of a big crew of us that were going around, you know, the Thai islands for the first two or three weeks, you know, partying, having a good time. And then at the end of it, Dan's like, okay, I'm going back to the Philippines, but um, you can work from wherever you want. And so I decided to go get an apartment in Bangkok and I worked with them remotely um, for the next year and a half. How did that relationship come about? You, you mentioned that he wanted to meet up with you. And uh, did you already have a lot of the skills that you would bring to the table? Did you already have these like web design, SEO skills? Um, did you already know about affiliate marketing? You know, because you're working as a financial analyst before. How did you uh, transition into like building that connection with Dan and then having him offer you that, that position? Yeah, I think a lot of it was a, just a timing thing. So I would started Location 180 in May. Um, and I left my job in October and I wrote a post about it. It was called my last day. And a couple days after I posted that, that's when I got the email from Dan being like, Hey dude, uh, I think what you're doing is awesome. I've got this opportunity. I just posted it. You can check out this video here. Uh, I think you should apply. And so that's, that's what I did. So he found me in that way. And I think he saw that, you know, I had a little bit of a, a platform with the blog. So obviously I knew my way around the internet a little bit. Um, you know, I just, decided that I wanted to, you know, travel and was looking to make a change. So I think he said, Hey, this guy, you know, seems like he's eager to learn. He's in an opportunity where he's in a transitional period and and wants to, you know, try something else. Um, and it could be a good opportunity and it ended up working out pretty well for both of us. Awesome. So I love that. So you basically proactively created the opportunity. You created your blog and you showed that you had all the qualities that they were looking for, that you were really keen to this lifestyle. And, um, you were kind of just learning the skills. You weren't waiting for someone else to teach you. Absolutely. And it's, yeah. it's what's the old saying. It's like luck plus preparation equals opportunity or some combination of that where, you know, had I not started the blog, he never would have found me. Had I not put myself in a position to leave my job and write about it, like he never would have known that I was in a position to accept, um, you know, an opportunity like that. And, you know, it was kind of cool on the, the day that I left my job, um, Chris Gillibo also offered me a position as his affiliate manager. Um, he's like, it's not going to solve all your problems, but I need someone to manage my affiliate stuff. So, you know, I'll hire you for, you know, X amount of hours a month and you do that. Um, so it was, it was a pretty serendipitous thing. It's like once I kind of went out to the world and was like, hey, I'm, I'm ready for something else. I'm ready for whatever's next. I put myself in a really good position for those opportunities to come to me. 
Why is it you think that most people aren't uh, proactively creating those opportunities, you know, saying, here I am, world, you know, and then, and then opening himself up to that? Uh, I think a lot of it is fear. Um, you know, something I say a lot is that there's really only one fear in the world. There's only one thing that people are afraid of, and that's uncertainty. Um, you're not afraid of the dark. You're afraid of the uncertainty of what's, you know, lurking in the shadows. You're not afraid of a spider. You're afraid of the uncertainty surrounding whether or not that spider is going to bite you. And, you know, Tim Ferriss had a quote a while back where he said, most people will choose unhappiness over uncertainty. It's like a lot of people have lives that are like, all right, they're relatively comfortable. They're pretty good. Um, and they would rather keep that and not jeopardize that than say, okay, I'm going to leave my job, move to Thailand, try something totally different. I mean, on the surface, it seems like a huge risk and it's uncomfortable and there's a lot of uncertainty involved in it. And most people just kind of say, you know what, I'll take my relatively comfortable life and not do that. Um, even though oftentimes that comfortable life has a lot more uncertainty than I think people really realize. Yeah. And I interviewed, uh, I don't know if you John, know Johnny FD. I don't. Johnny FD. Um, he's, he's got a podcast travel like a boss. Uh, but he, okay. really, he really broke it down really well because he was in Chiang Mai and he was down to his last $200 left and, um, he couldn't afford to fly home, but he, he said that, you know, failure wasn't really that bad. You know, if, if, if worse came to worse, I had options, you know, I could ask my family for help or, um, I could figure something out, but he eventually turned it around and he really said that, you know, failure is not that really that, that bad. You know, there's always options no matter what, if you at least take a chance and, and, you know, take that risk. Um, but, but then the other thing is that, you know, like for myself, I, I launched like a, a crowdfunding campaign and there's other factors involved, like, um, you know, fear of other people's opinions, for example, you know, like what, what are people going to think? Like, what if I launch something and then it flops? What, what if it fails? You know, what are people going to think of me? Am I going to go back into my shell? Am I going to retreat? Uh, so that can be really devastating as well. What do you think I about that? I totally agree. I mean, I kind of dealt with all of those things, you know, when I left, uh, <laughs> a high pain or relatively high pain for, you know, a kid that was just out of school, a finance job that had a ton of like upside and a ton of opportunity. Everyone's like, why on earth would you leave this big opportunity? I mean, you're like, you're sitting in the perfect place. Like most people would kill to be in this position. Um, you know, so there was that uncertainty of like, or that was, there was that feeling of all these people that were saying these things that, you know, were like, why would you do this? Why would you do this? And kind of makes you doubt yourself at the same time. Did you, did you feel like a black sheep or, or I guess like a purple elephant? Like, did you think a that you were, bit. were I felt weird? like I was, I, I felt like I was, uh, I felt ungrateful. You know, I'd been given this opportunity right out of school to take a pretty high level finance position for a small company where their goal was to groom me, potentially make me an owner, that kind of thing. And, you know, less than three years in, I said, you know what, peace, I'm out. Like, I'm going to go do my own thing. Sorry. Um, and it worked out for the best for both for me and for the company. But at the time, I think there was a lot of hard feelings where it's like, Hey, we took this chance on you and you're, you're ungrateful. Um, but at the same time, back to your previous point, I kind of kept telling myself, it's like, Hey, uh, what's the worst that can happen? And realistically, what are the chances that the worst case scenario is going to happen? And I kind of realized I was like, you know, worst case scenario is, is not that bad. It's like, Oh, I have to come back to, you know, I've run out of money. I have to come back to the States and get a real job or another real job. It's like, that's not that big of a deal. Um, and a lot of people could look at the travel and the adventure as, you know, something to put on a resume is a good thing. So it could end up being a good opportunity if that's the case. Um, so it all just, in, at the time it all just made sense for me to do it. And, 
Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff. There's always people that are going to say it's a bad idea no matter what you do. So you just kind of have to trust yourself and go with your best uh, instincts. <laughs> yeah, a few uh, weeks ago, my mother was writing to me like, um, what do you eat over there in Thailand? You know, because she was planning a trip, <laughs> but she's worried about the food and stuff, you know, and all these other things that they come into play, like accommodation and all these other, you know, issues that seem to keep coming up. And I'm like, don't worry about it, you know. Everything's great here. Just come. But uh, just kind of like, you know, Planning, trying to plan out for every possible scenario or every possible, I don't know, uh, potential snag, I guess. And I, I told her, you know, don't don't worry, you don't have to. I don't really plan at all, you know. I just I just go, and then you know things work out. Seems like that that's kind of been my <laughs> motto for the last like five years. It's like you know what, just do it, and it's all going to work out one way or another. And if it doesn't work out, you're going to have a great story to tell. <laughs> So we talked about things not working out, but is there ever a time when you put yourself out there publicly and then um, maybe you felt like you wanted to quit or, or things that didn't work out, like you felt embarrassed or humiliated because something failed? You know, I haven't necessarily had any huge, big public failures, okay. um, but in a lot of ways, I would say that that is my greatest failure because I, in some ways with my business, I haven't taken enough risks. I haven't like put out new things. I haven't, you know, tried, um, you know, to launch a new course in a while or, or various things like that. Um, so, so in some ways I kind of look at that as like, you know what, I'm not pushing the limits enough. Like I'm not, you know, trying to grow my business in a strong enough way. Um, you know, I think that failures are a necessary thing, both from a learning perspective, um, you know, as well as just understanding what your business needs to be and what you want it to become. And, you know, mine has kind of been, pretty much the same thing for the last four years, which is a very good thing because I know that in an, I know all the ins and outs. I know how to help people build small businesses and allow them to travel. But, you know, there's part of me that's like, oh, maybe I could have done more. Um, so, so it's kind of a weird way to answer the question, but I would say my biggest failure is the fact that I haven't had more big failures. <laughs> and you call this uh, going into maintenance mode where you're basically just running things, but you don't feel challenged, right? You're not pushing yourself and, um, I think there's an expression where uh, how much you grow depends on how much you push your comfort zone, basically. And you're saying that uh, you want to take on more risk. You want to push yourself more and be in that position where you can fail publicly or that you can feel really embarrassed because you're, you know that you're on the right track. You're, you're pushing yourself enough, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you kind of realize, like, you know, I left my job, I had this blog, I needed to, you know, pay the bills, I need to make money. So you're hustling, you're doing everything you can just to make a little bit of money to survive. And then you kind of get to the next phase where you're like, okay, I've got enough money to survive. Now I've got enough, now I've got to make enough money to, you know, pay all my bills and do all the cool things that I want to do um, and not have to stress and worry about money. And then you kind of get to that point where it's like, okay, all my bills are paid. I don't have to worry about the, you know, going out to dinner or like buying a plane ticket or anything like that. So then what's like the next level of motivation? Like how do you continue to push yourself to that next level? And I think that's something that a lot of people, when they get to a certain point, they, they tend to plateau. Um, and they're kind of like, they don't necessarily have a good reason or a good strategy for getting to that next level. And that's kind of the phase that I'm getting out of. I would say for the last like, you know, year, year and a half, I've, you know, you could call it maintenance mode or whatever you want, where it's like, I've just been writing blog posts. I've been, you know, helping people. I've been kind of doing the same thing, but I also haven't been taking any big chances. And I, you know, I haven't been doing anything to, you know, try and push that business to the next level. So 
um, you know, for the last two or three months, I've really been working to, to change that and kind of step things up, which has been a lot of work, but a lot of fun. It's kind of like, okay, this is why I'm, I'm doing this again. It's like, you know, makes you feel like, uh, you really are on the right track. Yeah. And I know exactly what you're talking about. Cause I've had this, you know, several points in my life where at first the next level was starting the business. And then second, the, the next level was, uh, taking that business and making it a lifestyle business where it gives me freedom. And then I had that, and then I feel like I was doing everything, you know, I was, I was doing all these ventures just like you, and I was like, well, what's the next level? How can I take the next level? And then I decided, you know, I wanted to write books, I wanted to create products and reach more people. And then I reached the point where, you know, I've done that, and then I'm like, well, what's the next level now? And, you know, it, I don't really know if there's a good process for kind of finding out what that is. I think it takes a lot of re- reflection, maybe meditation, but... I'm curious to know from your take, um, when you want to push yourself to that next level, how do you, how do you find it? How do you, um, identify that? And what's the next steps that you take? Well, I think one of it is you kind of wait it out. Like, you know, a lot of people are, you know, in the entrepreneurial world, everyone's like, Oh, you got to grow your business. You got to build your list. You got to get to six figures, then seven figures. You got to keep going. But until you have a good reason for doing that for yourself, um, you know, it's not worth, you know, pushing yourself because if, if you don't have a good reason to do it, you're not going to want to work on it. You're going to resent it. You're going to get stressed out. Um, you know, so I think it all comes in due time. Like there's a lot of people that can, you know, they'll get to the point where they're making 80, a hundred thousand dollars a year and they'll just chill there and they'll live a fantastic life, you know, for the foreseeable future making, you know, that amount of money. Um, you know, for me, I would like to, you know, do better than that. So I, you know, try to continue, you know, pushing things, but, like I said, for a while it was kind of stagnant. You know, I was making really good money and I was helping a lot of people. So it was like, you know, at the moment, I don't, I don't feel the need to, to push myself. But, you know, I think that what I've, I'm finding recently is, you know, I want to help even more people and I want to continue to challenge myself. Um, I want to continue to put myself in uncomfortable situations where I don't feel like I know everything and I have to, you know, broaden my knowledge about, you know, marketing or psychology or travel or whatever it is. Um, you know, so kind of once I found myself needing to educate myself more, wanting to educate myself more, that was when I was like, okay, now's the time to push myself forward. Um, but before that, you know, I, I have no regrets about, you know, not doing that for the last year or so. Um, it's been in a good place, but I kind of said, I know that I'll, I'll step it up when the time's ready. Yeah, I love what you just said, and I think that there's uh, two traps there because uh, you mentioned, you know, trying to keep up with everyone else and, and not really asking why. You know, other people are making six figures, seven figures, and it's it's kind of that same trap, you know, that we fall into as entrepreneurs is trying to keep up with the Joneses, you know, looking at what other people are doing and comparing ourselves to them, and I think that's that's a huge trap for people to fall into, and it's it's one of the surest ways to be unhappy, you know. You have to find what, what makes you happy and what works for you. Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting. I've had, uh, in the last week, I've had conversations with three different people that were all in similar situations. Um, and one of them in particular, he, he told me this he said in 2011, I was running a $3 million business with three employees said I could do whatever I wanted. I had very little stress. Like we were continuing to grow at a, you know, a steady pace. Um, it was the ultimate lifestyle business and it was perfect. Uh, now in 2015, He's got $20 million in annual revenue and 60 employees. And he's like, I'm making way less money personally. Uh, I've got way more stress. Um, and I know that I'm growing something big that's going to pay off in the end. But in the meantime, it's, it's a really difficult thing. And so he's like, I would just encourage you. He's like, you know, you're in a really good spot in your business. Like, think about why you're growing it. 
And so I've talked to three people that are in that point where they had really, really solid lifestyle businesses with, you know, one or two or three employees. And now they're scaling it up to the point where they've got 10 or 20 or 60 employees. And if you don't have a good reason for doing that, if you're just doing that because that's the next logical step or that's what, you know, your uh, other business friends tell you you should do, then that's not a good enough reason for me. Um, so I'm still not at the point where I want to have, you know, 10 or 20 employees. Uh, yeah, I'd like to grow things, but I can do that with, you know, a handful as opposed to a whole, you know, giant team. So I just think that's a, just kind of an interesting thing to think about. What do you say to the people out there, and especially a lot of people in the digital nomad community who say that a lifestyle business is not a real business? You know, they, they say that um, it's not just about, you know, being a digital nomad is not just about building a lifestyle business. You can also create a real business as if, you know, creating the former type that you just mentioned with the three employees and, and having lifestyle freedom is, is somehow uh, not as good or not as, as shiny or, or whatever it is. Well, it's interesting. Like over the years I've met, I've gone to a lot of events or I've met a lot of people that are in startups, maybe startup founders or whatever. And I tell them what I do and they just kind of like, you know, shake their head and they're like, oh, whatever. That's not a real business. But it's like, hey, like I'm probably making more money than you. I've got more freedom. Um, I'm helping more people on a one-to-one basis, um, you know, every day. Um, You know, I don't know what about that is, you know, worth like shaking your head at. Like to me, that seems like the perfect business. Um, you know, if you're making money and you're helping people, um, that's a business, whatever it is. And, you know, some people love the, the startup world. They want to grow as quickly as possible and build that team. And other people, you know, want to keep it small and, you know, be more agile and have more flexibility. And I think that it all just depends on, you know, the person and the entrepreneur and what they want to do. So, you know, to each their own, I guess is what I would say, but, um, you know, having kind of seen both sides of the coin, I, I definitely kind of prefer the, the lifestyle side of things where I can go travel and, and meet cool people and go golf four times a week and, you know, continue to help people, uh, through my business in the process. Life is short and everything that you do should be attached to a strong reason why. 100%. And, you know, yeah, I can spend, you know, the next five years of my life, grinding really, really hard to build a business that I might be able to sell for $20 million, you know, down the line, or I can continue doing what I'm doing here, which gives me a lot of access to my end user and that customer that I am then helping. And that just, that provides me with a lot of fulfillment. So even though, yeah, I'm kind of in the mode where I'm trying to grow things and take things to the next level, that next level isn't necessarily a $10 million business with 10 employees. Okay, so I want to ask you what that next level is for you, but um, I have so many other questions here. Um, I, I know that you, for the, for the listener, uh, you talk about the Tarzan uh, approach. You said that there's really no straight line to getting the things that you want. You're kind of just swinging from branch to branch. Um, you're continually learning new skills. You're, you're pushing yourself. You're being proactive, taking on new opportunities as they come. Um, but if, if there was a straight line um, you know, that, that could help someone go from zero to 60 and then 200. Um, can you break that down into steps? What advice do you, what roadmap do you provide with people? Um, well, you got to be a little bit more specific with the question. Where are they <laughs> trying to get? What roadmap uh, okay. am I trying to help them with? <laughs> uh, if, if someone said, you know, hey, Sean, um, you know, if, if, if it were, you were talking to yourself like 10 years ago and they're saying, you know, hey, Sean, um, you know, I, I really want to be you, um, you know, where should I start? And, and I guess you kind of touched on a few things in this, in this call already where you talked about, uh, you know, apprenticeship and working with others like Chris Gillibo and Dan, uh, Dan Andrews. Uh, but you know, if, if someone 
if someone wanted to become location independent, you know, what, what advice would you give them? Um, so basically I kind of advocate a three to four step process. Um, so step number one and two kind of go in tandem. First is start a website. The second is learn the relevant skills you need to be successful online. So learning skills like SEO, uh, copywriting, content writing, social media for business, WordPress, the basics of design, no matter what you do online, those are all going to be relevant skills. They're all going to be applicable. Um, so to learn those skills, you need a training ground. You need a place where you can practice them. And that's what starting a website is going to be. And usually that's one of two things. Either it's just kind of a personal blog that you use to kind of test things out, or it's a freelance services website. And the second or third step in this whole process is take one of those skills that you feel like you excel at and freelance it. Um, so a lot of people start with freelance writing because that's the easiest way to make money online. Uh, what that allows you to do is build up your income and your confidence. Um, so that you can get to the point where you're making, you know, call it three to $5,000 a month. And that gives you options. You know, you can scale that up and grow it into a bigger business. You have, you can keep your job and just have a nice side income. Um, at that point you can quit your job and go, go all in. Um, and then the final step is then to apply it to your own projects. So that's when you start doing the sexy stuff like building an e-commerce store or an app or an information product or, um, you know, an affiliate niche site. Um, so that's kind of the, the process that someone who had very little knowledge wanted to become location independent, wanted to start something and was just looking for a, a starting point. That's what I would tell them. Build a website, learn the skills, freelance the skill, then do all the sexy uh, passive income stuff. Where's the part in the process that most people get stuck? Um, probably it's step two or step three, the freelancing part. Finding you know, clients, people, would you say? They'll, and the reason I say they get stuck is because they, they tend to get frustrated easily. You know, it's like, oh, I'm going to you know, send out a couple emails and I should get a response immediately. And immediately someone's going to start paying me. And sometimes that's the case. Uh, but sometimes it could take three months or four months or even six months. Um, you know, part of that's a little bit of a luck of the draw as well as how diligent you're being with, you know, trying to find the work. Um, but I've found every single time I've helped someone and they stick with it, uh, they always get there eventually. And once you've got your first client, it gets easier to get your second and your third and so on. Um, but I think the most important word in all of this is consistency. Every single day doing a little bit of work. I don't know anyone who's been you know, working on something for, say, two years and doing it on a consistent basis that hasn't had a certain level of success. Okay, so consistency can, um, is more important than intelligence or talent or anything. I think perseverance is the key factor for success, right? 100%. At least in this, in this world, building this type of business, I think consistency is more, more important than anything. And also being consistent doing the right tasks, you know, swallowing that frog each morning, right? Um, doing the thing that you have to do versus like the busy work because other, you know, people will get lost in this. You know, they'll, they'll read a bunch of books, they'll take courses, but then they'll avoid doing something that's uncomfortable that they need to do, whether, you know, swallowing that frog, doing the most uncomfortable task. Totally agree. And, you know, for a lot of people, that's just reaching out and 
going through that sales process and trying to, you know, cold call or sell people on why they would make a great freelance writer or a great freelance web designer or whatever, whatever it is that they're working on. Um, but if you can get that part past that part and consistently put in the effort, uh, I think people will be surprised at, uh, just how quickly, uh, they can get results from it. How do people get over that, uh, uncomfort or discomfort, whether they're like, um, if they're like an introvert or something like this and, and they say, you know, I really don't want to do this. I don't like doing this. Um, it feels uncomfortable to me. I, I mean, I read, I read a great article on this, this blog, Will Powered, willpowered.co. And, um, he was saying that, you know, he doesn't really like doing lead generation. He likes to write, you know, he doesn't like to have to go out and try to pitch people, you know, to, to spend money with him. But he, he said that it's all about perspective. He said that, um, you know, there's, there's stories of other successful people who, you know, they are autistic or, um, you know, they had this disability, but they still, you know, went on and pushed that uncomfort. And compared to them, you know, what is sitting on a computer and emailing a few people? But what, what would you say? I'm just curious. Well, I think that there's always going to be aspects of what you do that are uncomfortable. Um, and there's some people that never get past the uncomfort, you know, that uncomfortable period with sales. It's just not natural. It's not something they want to do. And I'm, I tend to be one of those people as well. Like I, I don't necessarily like sales and feeling like a salesman and pushing people or whatever. Um, you know, so the way that I've tried to get past it is, um, really instead of thinking it as trying to sell someone, I think of it as trying to build rapport with someone. Um, so trying to get into conversations where I can just talk about, you know, mutual interests and things we both like. And, you know, sometimes it's hard to get that information where, you know, if you're sending someone a cold email and all you have is their corporate website, you don't necessarily know a whole lot, but you know, that's where I don't want to say you stalk people online, but you should do your research. Like if you, if you get someone that responds in emails, like, yes, I'm interested in your services. Let's hop on Skype and talk about it. Um, you know, if you know a couple things about this person, then it becomes easier to talk to them. And then you just have a conversation. It's like, you know, oh, like I see you're into golf. Like, have you been playing at all? What's the weather like? You know, uh, what's your favorite course? And then once you get into that, then transitioning to talk about the product is just kind of a natural thing. Um, you don't have to worry about selling them. All you need to do is worry about getting them to like you um, and, you know, just kind of doing that in a natural way. Um, right. So one of the ways I found most of my clients when I was doing freelance work was going to in-person meetups in complementary industries. So I was doing freelance SEO, but I would go to web design meetups because a lot of times web designers would have a client that they were, um, you know, designing a new website for. And naturally the client would be like, Oh, I want to make sure it's optimized for SEO. And the designer would be like, Oh, well, I don't want to do that. But Sean over here is great at it and we can partner with him. Um, so I go to these web design meetups in person and when you're in person, it's much easier to talk to someone and build rapport and, um, you know, just kind of see where the conversation goes. And I know even that can be uncomfortable for a lot of introverts, um, and probably even more intimidating for introverts, but, um, at least for me, that's one of the things that's worked out. Okay. Yeah. And you can learn so much just by going out and meeting people face to face and, um, you know, seeing what their needs are and, and how you can help them. And then it kind of just doesn't even feel like a sales conversation, I think. And you brought up a great point there. I mean, you, you obviously practice what you preach. You were asking me about, uh, you know, Bangkok where I am living now. And, um, we were talking about golf before the interview and just kind of asking those break the ice questions and just kind of getting someone to talk about their passions and asking these feel good questions. Because I think, you know, so few people do that. You know, so few people realize that they're dealing with an actual person here. But even though it's a business context, 
uh, people, you know, they often don't remember the work that you do, but they remember how you make them feel. And that's, that's so important. Well, and you bring up a really good point there. It's that, it's that there are actual people. It's like you could send a hundred cold emails and you tend to think, oh, it's just this, you know, faceless person behind the computer, but it actually is a real person. And one of the big mistakes I see people make when they're starting out is they'll create their, their services website and they'll make it look as corporate and stodgy and boring as possible. Um, well, then you just look like everybody else that's out there. You know, what you want to do is you want to add your personality in there. If you're sarcastic, like on your about page, like have some sarcastic humor. If you're into like, you know, golf or skiing or tennis or, you know, making home movies or whatever you're, it is you're into, you know, put all of that stuff on the website because then it makes it that much easier for the other person to latch on to one of those things. It's like, oh, I like horseback riding too. Um, you know, that's something we can talk about. And, you know, more often than not, um, people just want to work with people they like. Um, yes, you have to have a baseline level of skills, but, um, you know, if it comes down to between two people and you've got one person who might seem slightly better at the job than the other person, but you like the other person a lot better, um, most people will choose the one they've built some sort of rapport with. So, you know, whenever I'm, you know, critiquing people's websites or telling them what to do, I say, put photos of yourself on there, add personality, give the potential client something to latch onto that shows them what you're all about you know, as a person. Yeah, that's a great point that you brought up there. So if he's looking at two web designers and one's a Republican, one's a Democrat, and he's, he's a Democrat, he's probably going to hire the Democrat. Or if one person is an Oregon Ducks fan, and he's like the biggest Oregon Ducks fan, and he's also an Oregon Ducks fan, when he's probably going to hire him just on virtue of that because of that shared passion, that shared interest. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. So... Uh, Sean, I want to ask you, you're also, you're in a lot of things right now. You're also the organizer, uh, co-organizer of the World Domination Summit and a few other projects. I wanted to ask you, how did you get involved with that and how did you connect with people like uh, Chris Gillibo? Like, and, and how do you recommend to people to uh, connect to some of these more well-known brands, you know, if they want to, um, I don't know, kind of take things to the next level, but but do it in the right way where they're not... Um, you know, they approach someone like Chris Gillibo or some well-known author and um, maybe they, they, they don't hear back from them or they're afraid to approach someone like that. Uh, how, how did you build that connection and what advice do you give to people? Yeah. So with Chris, it, it was very much a timing thing. You know, it was uh, before his, like his site was big, but it wasn't nearly the, you know, huge success it is now. Uh, and he had just moved to Portland and I had kind of, you know, written him a letter being like, Hey, here's where I'm at. I'm, sincerely looking to make a change. I'm, you know, I like what you're up to. Can I buy you a cup of coffee? And so that's how I, I got the initial meeting for coffee and we met. Um, but the way that it evolved into something else was, you know, he gave me some advice. He said, you should start a blog. So a month later I said, Hey, Chris, I've got this blog. I started it. Now what do I do? So we got back together and he kind of gave me some more advice. And so I, I continued to do what he said. And then I call him the next month. Be like, okay, I've done that. Like now what should I do? And in his first book, there was actually a whole chapter. It was called, like, The Twin Stories of Nate and Sean. Um, so it was basically comparing me to this other guy about how every time he saw me, I had already done what he had said, and I was asking for more information. Versus he, you know, once a year saw this other person, and every year he would ask him the same thing. He'd be like, okay, I want to quit my job and do this. What should I do? And every year he would give the same advice, um, but the guy didn't take any action. Um, so I think one of the best ways to you know, take an initial meeting with an influencer or somebody that you're, 
aspiring to build a relationship with is take their advice and follow up with them. You know, if they say do something and you have success with it, you know, tell them about it. And I think that, you know, if someone were to come to me and it's like, hey, Sean, I read your, you know, blog post on how to build a membership site in 48 hours. It's all set up and I just made my first sale. Not only am I going to want to talk to that person, but I'll probably want to feature them on my website and, you know, say, hey, look, like, um, you know, this person did what I said and had a lot of success with it. So I think that that's, that's one way. First, you just have to reach out and kind of, you know, um, you know, do the things that they tell you to do if you're seeking advice. Um, another thing that I've heard recently is, uh, James Altucher is, you know, a big fan of this and that's, uh, the 10 things email. Um, so basically you can go to an influencer and say, um, Hey, you know, I was, uh, you know, just thinking this morning, I spent some time brainstorming every morning, just different ideas. And I wanted to put together 10 ideas that I thought would be great for you on your blog or 10 things I would love to hear you write about, or 10 things I would love to see a podcast on and then give them like 10 of your best ideas. Um, and I've, you know, I've heard story after story of people taking this approach and having a lot of success with it. And I know I, there was one person who did this to me and they wrote 10 ideas for a blog post and they were all really, really good ideas. And I said, actually, um, you should write one of those, pick the one that you know the most about and you should write it. He wrote a guest post for me. Um, so anyway, I think those are two different, two strategies. You know, if someone gives advice, do it and then give them feedback and tell them how it worked for you. And secondly, uh, come up with 10 ideas and email and see where it goes. That was a great point there. And we tend to forget that there's also things that these people need as well. You know, the people that we're reaching out to, we, we come to them thinking about what we want and what we want to learn from them. But we don't realize that there's things that, that they're desperately in need of too. Like, like you, you're trying to take things to the next level. And whenever you're trying to up your game a little bit, I mean, you need support from other people, whether it's um, traffic or, you know, getting customers for your product or even just feedback. And you just you just pointed out a way to give these people something of value in the form of valuable feedback, you know, how you're perceiving their brand and, and giving them ideas for how they can better serve their, their client base. Totally. And it's, it's kind of a touchy thing. It's like, you know, a lot of times if, you know, you've got these big bloggers or big business people and, you know, they get unsolicited advice all the time. And so you really kind of have to phrase it the right way. You don't want to rub them the wrong way or think that, you know, you're speaking out of turn or whatever, but um, you know, that kind of like 10, 10 ideas thing I found like, Hey, I was just thinking about some ideas and I wanted to, you know, do it on your behalf. Um, you know, if you like any of these, great, if not, no big deal, no need to reply. Um, but doing it in that kind of casual, me- um, manner and, uh, you know, putting some thought behind it seems to work pretty well. Excellent. So is there anywhere else that people can go to kind of find ways that they can kind of give value or d- with different ideas? Do you, do you recommend any resource that people can check out? Um, you know, like as far as giving value to other people, you know, like different ways if, if, if they wanted to explore this topic further. Um, I would go, uh, if you just Google like James Altucher, um, you know, 10 things, uh, it should pop up. I don't remember. I've, I think he's written about it in his book and I've seen it on his blog, but, um, you know, I think that would be a, a great starting point. Um, but other than that, I'm not, not totally sure. I have to, to go around and look at some <laughs> of uh, my old resources I've got stocked up. James Altucher gives people uh, plenty of information to dig through, so I'm sure I'm sure people yeah. will find plenty there. <laughs> you can get lost in his stuff for days. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you've got a couple of really excellent metaphors that you have on your site to kind of convey your ideas. You talk about the box on Location Rebel where 
um, after you die, you look in this box and it's everything that you wanted to do in your life. And you, you ask people, is that box going to be empty or is it going to be filled with all of this stuff that you wanted to do? You also have this metaphor of the desk where uh, you went around uh, recording your recording videos of your desk where you were working all around the world. I'd love to, to talk more about that because I know that's one of your more recent projects. Can you tell me a little bit about that project and what was it like creating that logistically? Yeah. So, you know, earlier on the call, we were talking about how I was kind of at the point where I was, you know, getting to the point where I wanted to step things up and get out of maintenance mode. And that was the first step. Um, you know, a good friend of mine has his own ad agency. Um, he'd been working for BBDO out of New York. So some of worked for some of the biggest, you know, companies in the world and to basically launch his own agency. He's like, Hey, let's redo some of your branding. And it still isn't all live yet, but you know, we went through and we, you know, created some new logos for location rebel and location 180, um, kind of created brand guidelines. And we kept saying, it's like, what if we were to just shoot a, a video around this whole thing and do something kind of fun with it? And, you know, just one day over beers, we sat down and we wrote out a couple scripts and, uh, this concept of the desk was the thing that stuck. And so over a period of, it was like 10 shoot days, um, we took this desk all over the place and it was kind of a three minute video talking about, uh, location rebel and what location rebel is all about a little bit of a sales video, but, um, you know, the idea is that you really can work from anywhere. So we took the desk all over the place. And then in the last scene, uh, I won't spoil it for people, but we do something kind of fun and let's just say the desk doesn't exist anymore. Um, so it's, it was a fun thing to put together. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, one thing I really like there is, is how, I mean, this kind of ties into what you were talking about earlier. Uh, you mentioned that you wanted to show people, you don't want to tell them. And that's just another way of being different and unique. And I think it's more effective than, you know, writing blog posts about working from different places. You actually went out and, and showed people, you know, this is where I'm working from today. I'm in, uh, New Zealand or Australia or wherever it might be. Uh, how much did it cost and how long did it take to put that video together? Um, I'm just curious. <laughs> Yeah. So what a lot of people don't realize is that every single scene in that video was shot within a three hour drive of Portland, Oregon. Um, oh, okay. So, okay. so it looks like, you know, there was a lot of places that looked like I could have been in Morocco or I could have been in Australia or New Zealand. It was all shot on location in Oregon. Um, okay. So, uh, so the first, um, I think we only had to stay in like two hotels the whole time. Um, there was three of us that put it together. So Jamie, the creative guy, uh, is ad agency is called crime and Um, so great stuff there. And then my dad has been in video production for 30 years. Uh, so he was the one that shot and edited it all. Um, and both of them were kind of building new brands and businesses. So, um, you know, they agreed to, to do it for free on the guise of, you know, it's going to be a, a good portfolio piece for everybody. Um, so, you know, I think all told, you know, the whole thing set aside the camera equipment that I invested in a while ago. Um, you know, we did it for under, under $2,000. Um, and it was over, like I said, it was like 10 shoot days. We did, uh, six days in February, uh, last February, three days in April, and then one more in May when we actually blew up the desk. Oh, I spoiled it. <laughs> we blow up the desk. <laughs> okay, so you've been doing this. Um, I'm looking at your site. You, you've also shot yourself working from the Maldives and um, Ho Chi Minh City, a whole bunch of really cool places. I just, What I really want to ask you, though, my next question is, um, 
how do you come up, or what other ways of coming up with unique content ideas? Uh, what are some other ways that you can come up with some unique content ideas? I know you're a fan of Casey Neistat, and you know Casey comes up with all these really great ideas to shoot videos. You know, someone will give a million of dollars, and he'll he'll shoot a video traveling around the world. Um, what what are some ways that people can kind of you know stand out with their content, like like you're doing with the desk and uh, come up with these creative ideas that you know people will really latch on to and that will really do really well and I guess get a lot of attention on you know social media and the blogosphere. Yeah, I think you know to be honest, I feel like everybody's got ideas. Like everyone's got that thing where they're like, ah, wouldn't it be cool if, or like, ah, I want to do this or I want to write a post on this. And the big problem is, is most people just don't do it. They don't take any action on it. You know, we were kind of like, wouldn't it be cool if we could shoot a video and take this desk all around the place and then blow it up at the end? Um, the difference between me and, you know, what, you know, somebody else might be is that I say, screw it, let's do it. <laughs> um, and I think that's the big thing. Everybody's got creative ideas. Um, but a lot of those ideas can take work to put together, even if it's just a blog post. You know, to come up with a creative blog post and and actually put it all together, a lot of people just don't do it. So, you know, there's the whole promotion aspect and getting eyeballs on it, and that's definitely one piece of the puzzle. But I think the most important part is all those creative ideas, all those things you say you're going to do someday, um, just do it. You know, my one of the very first things I ever did for Location 180 was I created my bucket list. So all the things that I wanted to, to do before I died. And that was that was one of the fundamental tenets of the site. That was part of the reason I created it was to hold myself publicly accountable for all the stuff I wanted to do. And um, within the first couple of years, I you know shot a video of me climbing a mountain for the first time. Um, you know, had another video where I went to Cuba and smoked a cigar. That was one of the things on the list. Uh, drove a Ferrari. That was one of the things I crossed off this year. Um, so you know, by just kind of having a list, understanding what you want to do, and then actually doing these things, um, I think that's that's number one. Okay, so part of it is keeping yourself accountable, and you say when you say screw it, let's do it. You also publicly commit to these goals, and that keeps you accountable. And then the other part is actually showing people, going out and actually doing this stuff. Don't tell them, you know, about oh lifestyle design. Actually, go out and, and do it, and that's that's really powerful. People really latch onto that. Yeah, and that's that's why I've tried. I'm I've actually I'm currently doing a an experiment with a video blog. Um, so every Thursday I'm putting out a new video on my Location 180 YouTube channel, and you know it's it's not for any. It's like I'm making any money directly from the videos or even get getting that many people to watch them. But it's mostly just kind of a you know showing. It's like hey, I really am doing this. You know, I am you know putting myself out there. I am trying to do unique and interesting things. Um, and when you're doing unique and interesting things, you generally have more ideas for more unique and interesting things. And then you go and do those. And so I think, you know, that's kind of what it all comes down to. It's just, you know, once you do one, you know, kind of out of the box thing, then it, you know, spurs ideas and, you know, makes you want to do another and, and so on. Excellent. Well, this, this interview has really been excellent. You've given us uh, so much useful stuff, so many takeaways. I feel like this conversation keep going for hours, but I know it's a little bit uh, after your usual working uh, time there. So, um, let me just ask you then, what, what do you see as next for you? I mean, looking forward to 2016, we're recording this on uh, just before, a week before Christmas in December. And what, what do you recommend as far as the future of location independent business and um, online work? You know, what opportunities should people be looking into? Well, so I think there's a two-part two part question there. Like, what's, what's next for you and what, what do you, where do you see the future going? 
Yeah. So, you know, with where I see the future going, I mean, I think that there's always going to be a demand for this concept of a, a lifestyle business or location-dependent business. People are always going to want to leave their job and do something else. They're always going to want to travel. There's always going to be people that want to work from home. And, and I think there's going to continue to be more and more opportunities for those people. You know, in some, it'll be in the form of entrepreneurship. And for some, it'll be in a more traditional environment. But, you know, more and more companies are going the way of the remote workplace. So taking traditional jobs and just doing them from home. Um, and it really kind of depends on what kind of you know personality you have, what your risk tolerance is, you know what your strengths and weaknesses are, what your interests are. Um, all of that plays into you know what type of business you want to get started with. But I would say that in 2016, you know, just as it has been this past year, the fact remains: freelance writing, in my mind, is still the absolute easiest way to get started and the easiest way to make money online. So that's that's the direction I encourage people to go, at least for the foreseeable future. Um, Can I ask, ask a question for, there? Yeah. Um, freelance writing, a lot of people, you know, and I've, I just read an article about this, about uh, market rate and, and how they're paying people, um, you know, $1 in San Francisco is not worth as much as $1 in Thailand, for example. So there's kind of this, this conception that, you know, people working remotely from India or Thailand should earn less. And I don't know, with, with the marketplace so global, uh, and people willing to do freelance writing, for example, for like $2 an hour, you know, how, how do you stand out and, and, and kind of get the right rates as far as like actually earning enough money? Well, it totally, I mean, part of it goes back, you know, coming full circle to what we were talking about, about personality and rapport. Um, you know, there's certainly people in India and Pakistan that can do, you know, very low levels of writing for a dollar an hour, a dollar, you know, an article or whatever it is, but, you know, you're still going to have higher forms of, um, higher forms of writing like copywriting or, you know, detailed content writing for blogs that, you know, need to be very high quality that only a high quality writer and creative thinker can do. And generally that type of writing pays really well. Um, so there's always going to be the $1 an article, you know, type people, but you're not trying to compete with that. Um, you know, you look at like, say like a Buzzfeed article or something, you know, 24, you know, reasons the office was the best show ever or something like that. You know, somebody in India is not necessarily going to fully understand, you know, American humor and they're not gonna be able to write a post like that. Whereas, you know, Buzzfeed will probably get a million views on that and they'll pay someone, you know, $500 to write it. Um, so if you can start finding, um, finding work that's higher paying, leverages your strengths more, leverages the fact you're a good, you know, English speaker, English writer, um, you know, that'll go a long ways. So I think that, I think what you're saying and what I'm saying are two very different things. We're not trying to compete with the $1 an hour in India. We're going for the higher level types of writing. <laughs> okay. But I'm just, I'm saying that is, that is a trap that a lot of people are, are falling into, you know, like, um, they'll, they'll go to Cambodia or to Thailand or something, but they're, you know, earning less than a thousand dollars a month and, and just barely scraping by. And I'm just, I'm just thinking about like, you know, uh, looking at, looking at it from that perspective from the person who's not making enough yet and they want to, to earn more so that they can do more, um, you know, how, how do they get to the next level? And I guess if I were to answer, I, I would say that you just keep investing in yourself. Like you said, there's other skills like copywriting, sales copywriting, um, that you can learn that are, are more high value. So you can keep adding to your skill set and, and doing more, just, just learn and do, right? Absolutely. And like I said, you know, freelance writing is, it's a very 
you know, broad topic. Um, so for instance, you know, copywriters are often some of the best paid people I know. I know people that are, you know, making multiple six figures just with their copywriting every year. Um, so I think that's something to, to aspire towards just because that there's a big market for that. If you can be persuasive with your words, um, and you can sell with your words, that's going to be a great thing. So continue to invest in, you know, your writing skills and your abilities and other online skills and other, you know, um, techniques that are just going to make you more marketable is always a good idea. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Sean. Anything else that you wanted to uh, leave people with or anything you wanted to sign off with? No, I just, uh, I appreciate you taking the time and hopefully, uh, your listeners got some value out of this for anyone that's interested. Uh, the easiest way to find me is just, uh, through my website, location 180, which is Sean S E A N ogle, O G L E.com. Um, at Sean Ogle on Twitter at Sean Ogle on Instagram. And, uh, if you're interested in cool business and travel posts, like I said, I'm doing this video blog, which is just youtube.com slash location 180. Excellent. Thank you, Sean, so much for sharing your time and knowledge on this interview.